We're going to be in Lamentations chapter 5 this morning. Lamentations chapter 5 as we finish up this series in the book of Lamentations called Learning to Lament. Now, on the upfront, let me just say that this kind of lament that we're talking about is not like the kind, you know, where you were offered in 2013 to buy Bitcoin for $50 a coin, and now it's worth, what, $60,432 and like 49 cents as of this, uh, this morning. So not that kind of lamenting. Did anybody buy Bitcoin, by the way? Let me see. Come on. Come on, tithes, offerings. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Fell right into that. That was, that was terrible. Um, so we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 5. We're going to talk about praying for restoration. So here, here's what the lament is really about. If you've, you've been here, you know like each of these chapters, all five chapters, the poem written by the prophet Jeremiah about an experience where Jerusalem, the holy city, And Judah, the people of Judah, was completely ransacked, decimated, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonian in 586. And if you read the depictions that are Lamentations 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you're going to see that this is a terrible, terrible ordeal. Jerusalem goes from being uh, world famous. It goes from being what, what most people would say is impenetrable to being utterly defeated and to be uh, begging poor. And they've got a hunger problem. They've got a water problem. They've got a, all kinds of problems. And so how did this happen? And that's actually what the, the Hebrew word for the book of Lamentation means. How? How did this happen? And so today we're going to talk, in wrapping this up, we're going to talk about a prayer for restoration because really this is a lament for restoration. It's a lament for all of this. is a lament for, from the people's standpoint of, of a distancing themselves from God because of sin and a cry for restoration to come, to come back. Now, as we started this thing, I said, hey, maybe we as a nation, the churches of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, maybe we need to be lamenting for restoration. I want to unpack that a little bit more today. So would you stand with me? We'll read Lamentations chapter 5, 16 to 22 is what we will read, although we'll look at the entire chapter. Verse 16, it says, the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, is, this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. You can be seated. So let's talk about then praying for restoration in lament, right? And so the end of lament in God, with God, is restoration. And this is this is good news, but let's, let's look at this slowly. So if you go back to Lamentation chapter 5, verse 1, this is where it begins. It says, remember us or remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. So the lamenter, Jeremiah, on behalf of the people is saying, 
God, you see our city in ruins. It, it once was the talk of the earth. It was protected by your presence. We had the prophecy. We had your promises. Uh, your people live here. It, it, it was economically sound and favorable. We were undefeatable, and now we're decimated. Remember us in our disgrace. And so that word remember, when, when God's people are crying out to God and and, and call him to remember. They're saying to God, in this covenant, in the promises you've made, remember these promises of steadfast love. We didn't keep our end of the bargain, but, but you are the same. Remember your promises us. Look at your kids in disgrace. They're asking, Jeremiah is asking God to remember his promises and to look at them. It's, it's not unprecedented. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, meaning the the temple and before the presence of God. For your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will say, this is what Jeremiah is doing on behalf of the people, crying out to God in affliction, banking on he will hear them and save them, because that's God's mode all through Scripture. Ezekiel 16, 59 to 60. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. Now, this is why the people are in this situation. He's dealt destruction with them, even as they have sinned against them. him. I will deal with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant. Yet, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Jeremiah is saying in this, in this difficulty, in this suffering, in this affliction, like, remember us. God, look, look at your kids in, in disgrace and remember the promises. And this is right. This is a right first step toward restoration because it is humbling and it is dependent. When he says, remember us, O God, and harkens back to the promises, he's not, he's not depending on himself to do anything. He's not depending on the people of God to do anything. He's saying to God, like, we are going to have to rely on you completely for restoration. So remember us in our disgrace. Don't forget. Then verse 16 of chapter 5, it says, the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Now, this is, is, is a simple thing. It's called admitting our guilt. This is part of restoration. So we not only remember who God is in faith and all of his promises in the word, but we have to admit our guilt in the midst of the situation. What was the guilt of the people of Israel here? Well, their big, their big, big problem, and there are many in this moment in history, but their biggest problem is that they worshiped God. They gave praise to the covenant God, and they worshiped Baal, another God. If you read, you know, anything that, that God spells out for the people of Israel, one of the things that gets said over and over again is, you shall have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God, over and over again. 
And so this, they, they have become comfortable in their economy, comfortable in their comfort, comfortable in their culture, in their city. And they just, they just, they worship God. There's the rhythm of religion, but they're also worshiping Baal because Baal brings material uh, possession. He brings economy. He allows for a broader morality, a more fun morality with less framework of, uh, of, of um, statutes that must be followed. He's licentious. And so the people worship both. And this is, a, this is a flagrant foul. And then all that comes with it. And here in the moment, Jeremiah is saying, Lamentations chapter 5, the crown has fallen from our head. We're not the top of this anymore. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And that word woe is a passionate cry of grief. So he is, in, he is lamenting his sin now, which is an excellent next step. He's not lamenting like uh, in this verse, he's not lamenting, I, I wish things would go back to the way that they were. He's lamenting his own sin. He's not lamenting his pain. He's lamenting his sin and the sin of the the people. How many times in the last, let's just call it three years, but you could extend that as far as you want. How many times in the last couple of years have you said, I wish things would just go back to normal? I remember uh, like during Hurricane Harvey, how many of you lived through, through that, right? Like uh, I, I remember walking through streets in this neighborhood right, right next door over here and everybody stuffs out in the front lawns. And I remember thinking, I, how would it be, would it be nice if we could just rewind like seven days and avoid this thing altogether. I wish it would just go back to normal. Or I, I remember the first time that I, uh, during the COVID thing, the, the first time that I actually, at the beginning, I was like, I'm just going to use the free mask that everybody provides because I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to invest in this. Are you kidding me? And so, and so I, I realized one day, like, I'm going to buy some masks because I'm going to be wearing these for a while. And I remember thinking, um, I, I wish things would just, We'll just go back to normal. He's not lamenting the loss of normal right here. He's lamenting the sin of the nation here. Woe to us. You know, it's a, it's a cry for grief. And again, every time God's people cry out to God, he hears them. But this terrible, he's admitting, is this terrible retribution has been brought by the nation itself. Now, I will say it again, just to make sure that we're clear that America, the United States of America is not Israel. We are not Israel. But there are some thoughts, some parallels, some precepts that we should take from this, from our own nation. We should admit our sin. We should. Now, it's a little bit different. I don't expect anybody out there, actually, that doesn't know Jesus to have any, any thought, actually, of admitting their sin. I don't expect that. We're talking about the people of God. So, so in the construct of the United States of America, if, if, for instance, God is using some of this calamity, some of this difficulty, some of this suffering to awaken people, it's going to be the people of God that awaken. And so it's the people of God, those inside the church that have to cry out and say, remember your promises to us. It's the people of God that have to admit our sin. And you say to yourself, like, Pastor Brian, we're not worshiping Baal. Okay. Let me just frame it up this way. 
This week, I was talking with uh, three individuals um, who train Muslim background believers in Egypt to be pastors all over the North Africa and the Middle East. And they risked their lives to do it. And I just walked away from the, the, the call thinking, man, these guys are, and gals are dedicated to mission. Submission, the mission of God. And their, their, their dependence on God is evidence in prayer. And it's, a, it's amazing to me that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran and China. Iran and China. I mean, you would think to yourself, like, how can it be? There's so much oppression, so much persecution. Yes, yes, yes. But what happens is the people of God in those places, they have become so dependent on God because they don't, they don't have anything else. They don't really have economy. They don't have a government that says you have freedom of religion. They don't, they don't have the support of the people and the construct of their neighborhoods and even in their families. They just burn white hot for the gospel. And so they meet in caves and under trees and in houses at their own risk. See, and I look at that, and I, I also understand from just from studying how things are, are working that the, the, the center of Christianity is in the East now. The growth of Christianity is in the East. And let me just tell you something that very clearly so that you hear it. The church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America appears awake, but it's apathetic. It appears awake, but it's apathetic. We should lament this. Why do I say it appears awake? Because we have, we have great buildings and campuses. We have, have great programs. We have uh, professional staff. We have the, the, some of the best music in the world coming out of the United States of America for, for worship. And yet at the same time, the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America ought to lament the fact that it is drifting slowly away from God. Not even slowly anymore. And so all of this has been taking place to kind of sifting the church these days. And so we ought to, as people of God, lament, admit our, our, our sin, admit our guilt on behalf of a nation. It's the people of God in, in the churches of Jesus Christ in the nation that have to do this work of lamenting our own sin. Maybe we don't worship Baal. I don't have a Baal altar in my backyard or anything like that. But if you think about the concept of like we worship God, but we also, we got a lot of that going on. You know, God in our thinking is a, is a compartment. And, and he's good for in here and inside buildings like this, but you, you get out there, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're not that disciple of Jesus. Maybe we're not those disciples of Jesus that we like to say that we are inside those certain buildings, certain days of the week. And, and I'm generalizing here, but what I'm saying to you is the church has become very apathetic. We ought to lament it uh, terribly because for the sake of the, not just our, our, our people sitting right here, but the next generation. So we admit our guilt. So we remember us, O God, in our disgrace. We admit our guilt. This is right because we are agreeing with God that what is coming to us is what was promised. Here's the third thing. 
verse 19, it says this, a very simple phrase, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. So we're admitting the truth. We're aligning with the truth. In fact, for, for our people to worship God and also worship Baal, what do they have to do? They have to believe lies that, okay, our God is good. We worship him. We're Jews. We take the Torah, but he's not able to provide as well as Baal is able to provide. We think Baal is going to provide a little bit better, and so we worship Baal. They have to believe lies, right? So when they admit their sin, admit their guilt, when Jeremiah says we're decimated because, because we're walking in two, two worlds and not, not loving you like the Shema says, with all of my heart, soul, uh, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, but we're, we're worshiping Baal and treating people with abuse and all these kinds of things, that, that now they're saying, now Jeremiah is saying, hey, let's align with the truth. You reign forever. Your throne endures uh, forever. Now, the only way to overcome lies is with truth. You have to take steps to identify the lies and move back toward the truth. And this is something that we all as people have to do regularly. And as the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, we have to align with the simple fact that God is sovereign, that he reigns forever, that his throne endures forever. I mean, if you, th- if you have this kind of perspective, how does it change your decisions to sin? If you, if you really believe that God rules and reigns forever, that your life is not just temporal, some 70 plus years here on the planet, but that, but that your soul lives on and there is this whole other kingdom that is yet unseen to you and this new heaven and new earth that it will be coming in the future and that God is sovereign over that. If you really, if you really believe that, if it's not just words, but if you really believe that, then it, it has to impact the walking out of things, how we make decisions about how we live, how we sin. And so the, the, the lamenter here in Lamentations 5.19 aligns in this prayer of restoration with God that it's you, this is who you are. You reign forever and your throne endures forever. Woe to us for we are sinners, but you reign forever. It's alignment with truth. And that's steps we have to take. Verse 20, it, it kind of takes an interesting turn. It says, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? You know, this is just how the lamenter feels in this moment. You, you realize that God gave you the ability to feel emotively. Uh, have you ever been through a point in your life where you think, I, I know I'm supposed to be blessing God right now, but really I want to know where he's at. Why isn't he showing up? Or why is he causing this? People go through moments like that. And, and even in this prayer of restoration, Jeremiah like lifts it up on behalf of the people. Why? Are you not acting right now? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? He's just processing exactly how the people feel. And it's not, it's not uh, something new to Scripture in Lamentations chapter 5. If, if we follow the model of Je- Jeremiah and David and Jonah and Moses and Abraham and all kinds of people, what we're going to find is that they often, in their relationship with God, process how they feel out loud. David said in Psalm 13, 1 to 2, How long, O Lord? 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So God can handle you. Hey, hey, why do you forget us? And it's an interesting dynamic. We think in compartments. That's not a Hebrew way of thinking. So compartment is, would be like, how can I say, why do you forget us? And at the same time say, uh, remember your promises to me. That seems like opposite, right? Remember your promises. Why did you forget us? A Hebrew takes all of it and mashes it all together and is comfortable with the tension. You're a God of your promises. You said you would, you, you, you're a covenant God. You have steadfast love. You have uh, mercies that never end, all of that kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, we feel forgotten. And they just, they just lay it all out there as they pray for this restoration. You don't have to think in compartments. You can feel something and cling to the truth at the same time. <laughs> I feel forgotten, God, but I know that you can remember. I feel alone, God, God but I know that you're, you're, you never leave me alone. I feel destroyed, God, yet I know that you make me victorious as your kid. Why do you forget us? I mean, he's just processing aloud. And then verse 21 Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. Restore us to, ourself, to yourself. This is asking God to do what only he can do. It's interesting that Jeremiah doesn't say, Restore us to our riches, restore us to our security. He knows, Jeremiah knows, the prophet knows to be restored to God is the hope of restoration for everything else. It is, it is what matters most. Now, I've said this before, when we think about our own nation, again, we're not Israel, but if you look at how we're framed, if you read the documents, you will see uh, people who are attentive to the words of God framing up our country. You will see in our monuments, in our capital buildings, and all across the country, you will see the words of God etched in our stones because at one point, this nation was framed around a Judeo-Christian ethic that came from these words and our God. And we have drifted and we have drifted and we have drifted. What will it take for a nation like ours to be restored? Here's my thought. You're not going to elect the restoration of God. It's not a political move. It's a prayer move. This is how God works. You're asking for something spiritual. It's not even a democracy in the kingdom of God. Jeremiah is saying, you have, I'm as low as we can, we are decimated. Remember us, oh God, woe to us, for we have sinned. You're right, we're wrong. You, you keep your end of the covenant because we couldn't keep ours. And in the context of the United States of America, it's not the people out there that are going to ask for it that don't know God, that don't walk with Jesus. It's going to be the people of God that ask for it. And I'm begging God to wake the church up to this. 
ask yourself, like, what is, collectively, what is our prayer life like? Are we praying for restoration? Are we just babbling about politics? And I get it. It's fun. It's easier. But we have the potential. We have the ability to go to the sovereign king of the universe, the one whose throne never ends, and cry out to him for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our our nation. Restore us to yourself, God, that we may be restored. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, I love this verse, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is the the hope that God doesn't change because we are certainly wishy-washy. But God remains the same. His gospel is always the same. Jesus is always the one who died on a cross to save you from your sin, to be raised again and, and seated at the right hand of the Father. He's always the one that's returning. He's, he's the only one that can make you and me born again. He's the only one that can cause like a Holy Spirit revival among any people group anywhere in the world. He's the one that does that. Our part is simply to say, woe is me for I have sinned. Woe to us for we have sinned. What is the sin of the church of Jesus Christ in America? It is to look lavish and wonderful on the outside and to be apathetic and and sinful in the gooey middle. We got great music. And again, I'm generalized. It's not every person. It's not every church, but it is a national problem. Restore us to yourself. This is key. That Jeremiah knows this is what the nation needs more than anything, the covenant mercies of God, the steadfast love of God. Here's the verse we've, we've read over and over again. I'll, I'll remind you of it, Lamentation 3, 21 to 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hoped the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What will it take for revival to pour out from God on this nation? What will it take? Because this is what we need. What will it take? Well, It's an understanding that God is our only hope, that we're living in a Romans one. Uh, God has given us, given us over to ourselves and said, you can, you do it your way. Do what's right in your own eyes. See where that gets you. This is the picture of lamentation. This is what the people did. They did what was right in their own eyes. And, and after generation, gener- uh, and generation, generation of that, they found themselves in this awful place, lamenting, asking, how did this happen? For us, we need to stop and we need to say, uh, oh my goodness, we are on a crash course with Nebuchadnezzar, so to speak. Some people are still saying, we can't be defeated, just like they were in Jerusalem. 
It's only being restored in a right relationship to our God that, that gives us any hope of complete restoration as a nation. So the churches, what has to happen is the churches have to wake up and they have to pray this Psalm 83, verse three prayer. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Why is it so hard to pray for real? You know what I mean, for real, right? And like, not the like, you just made the grilled cheese, the quesadilla, Lord bless this, rub, dub, dub, bring on the grub, eat. I mean, the I know, quesadillas are good, but I mean the kind, I'm thinking about them right now. I mean the kind of prayer that, that, that defines the church of Jesus Christ, you and me, together in prayer on our faces by ourselves in prayer on our faces, praying not just inside these buildings, but out there in our homes and with our families and with other people begging God to restore us. You have to realize you're broken in order to ask for restoration. And this is the hope of our people group, our nation is restoration with God. The church of Jesus Christ has to be restored in right relationship with God. Now, theologically, it is. I mean, Jesus died on a cross to save the people of the church, the, 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 all that would follow him. But our hearts are far from him. Two questions, and I'll close. Did you know that it's also true for me and you that our only hope of restoration is being reconciled and restored to God himself? just on an individual level, personal level. Our only hope to not live in brokenness and die in brokenness is true restoration, being reconciled and restored to God himself, the sovereign king of the universe, the one whose throne that never ends. Paul said this to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 5, 6 to 11, he reminds them, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jerusalem faced the destruction, the wrath of God. We're gonna be saved from that in Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been made right with God in our relationship with him through Christ, only through Christ, only through his death on the cross, his resurrection, only through faith in Christ. It's by grace, it's a gift, and it's clear. And yet we have this apathy problem in America. Like Jesus says stuff like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, let's just, those things, if the church could, could be and do those things, 
We would be burning white hot among the people of this nation. Just to love our enemies and love our neighbor and love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we got the rhythm of it down, but we forget what we've been saved from. And so we drift far from God. We just, it's like, we don't feel it anymore. And so we drift. When I, the Lamentations have been good for me in this way. I have skipped over some of the most graphic language in Lamentations 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 because of a multi-generational audience. Go back and read it. Read the destruction, the decimation, and understand that before Christ, you were Jerusalem in Lamentations. I was Jerusalem in Lamentations, destined for destruction. But because of Christ, by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not a, anything we did. It's a free gift of God. Did you know that this is also true for me and you, that our only hope of true restoration is by being restored to God himself through Christ? Here's the second question. Did you know that there's a day coming when all things will be restored? So the scripture has this theme from beginning to end that is all people, all places, all things. All people, all places, all things. All people, all places, all things. The restoration of all things. And we get a picture of it in Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Everything will be made right. Judgment will take place. Justice will be executed. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, we've been studying a destroyed Jerusalem. By the way, you go there now, it's kind of a cool town. No temple, no holy of holies, no presence of God inside a certain building. No festival, you know, feast executed in the way the Torah says it's to be executed because the building's not there, because the Holy of Holies isn't there. It's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's cool. But one day it's going to be restored in its entirety. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I mean, this is the restoration of all things. Remember before sin in the garden of Eden, the dwelling place of God was with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This was Genesis chapter one and two before you get to Genesis three when, when sin enters the picture and then sin all this time and you come to revelation 21 and through christ he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there'll be no death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away this is the restoration of all people all places all things this is what he will do this is what he has promised did you know there's a day coming when all things will be restored if you know those two things i ha- in order for me to have any hope of restoration i have to be restored to god through his son jesus and whether i am or not there is a day coming when there will be a restoration of all all people all places all things Perfect justice will be executed. Those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins were made right. They'll live in a new Jerusalem. 
that is not decimated, that is, can't even be penetrated by sin, much less armies. See, it's a restoration of all things, full, full circle. Maybe, just perhaps, we as one of many churches in the United States of America living in these days when things seem a little bit like turmoil, a little bit like God really said, have your own way, and we're kind of getting that, maybe we should pray for restoration. Maybe we should pray diligently for restoration, restoration of the church of Jesus Christ. In the context of the people of the United States of America, that we would be what Jesus said we should be, salt and light, that we would lead with love, that would be the city on a hill that everybody runs to when it's dark out there and, and they don't know what to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we so want to be right with you in this country, in these borders. Lord, I know that you're about the restoration of all people, all places, all things. And that's not solely about America, but it includes the people of the United States of America. And so would you wake your church up? God, remember us in our disgrace. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for paying you lip service and yet walking many different ways besides the way that you you show us in Scripture. Forgive us for hearing you but not obeying. Forgive us for doing what is right in our own eyes. Forgiving us for for, for saying we, we operate in your name and not loving like you do. Help us to be like our rabbi, to be like our Lord Jesus. You put your spirit inside of us so that we could be. Restore us, oh God, to yourself. For all the people that are listening to this, whether online or in person or some other time, someday, God, would you speak to them and would you restore them to yourself? God, we're all sinners wrecked by it. We, when we choose our own way, we find decimation and destruction. We want to rebel against you. It's in our bones. Forgive us, God. Draw us near to you for all of my, my friends, my family who, who are far from you right now. God, would you, would you help them to have the courage to simply say, God, uh, I, I, your, your throne endures forever. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Forgive me, Jesus. By your blood, by your, your work on the cross, I receive your forgiveness. And I want to walk in new, new life with you. God, for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, God, would you cause your spirit to fall? Drive us to prayer. Lord, we want to be dependent on you and nobody else. Nothing else. Not some other God, not the work of our own hands. God, we want to be dependent on you and walk in your power and by your spirit. God, help us when we think we can fix things or manufacture things on our own that, that are things that only you can restore. We don't need a better program, God. We don't need 
We don't need any of that. We need your spirit to fall. And so we humble ourselves and ask for it. In Jesus' name, we pray for restoration in our borders, among our people, beginning with the church of Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.